0: Hello and welcome back to Witch Fix. Today I'm going to be talking about my experiences playing Dishonored 2 again. So this is part two of me looking at that game and I feel like it kind of got away from me a bit and I ended up playing most of it before I sat down to record some thoughts about it. And according to the Wikipedia page, which has no reason to lie to me, um, I'm actually now like two levels from the end of the game. So I thought now was a good time to sit down and talk about it. Having said that if you notice I sound a little bit hoarse it is because downstairs my mum is making quince jelly and everything outside stinks of vinegar so I am in here burning copious amounts of Nag Champa incense cones to try and keep my room not smelling like boiling vinegar and the combined effect is somewhat astringent and I feel like my throat is being cleansed of some horrible evil. So when I left off on episode one of talking about Dishonored 2, I think what I had done was the first mission when you escape Dunwall Tower and then the second, well, the first part of the second mission where you're going around Karnaka and trying to get to the Adamite Institute to speak to Dr Hypatia and to find out what happened to Solokov. So that was actually really early on in the game. I then infiltrated the Adamite Institute, you'll be pleased to hear, and sort of went around there, did all the missions in there. And since then, I've actually, I think, done the bulk of the actual missions that you have to do and got a fairly good idea of what the game is about. Ironically, in that first episode, uh, when I was talking about blood flies and how they had replaced the rats as an environmental hazard, I definitely vowed that i would go nowhere near any blood flies i would avoid them as much as possible and then i got to the adamai institute and i went into the recuperation wing which is where it told me dr hypatia was and it was chock-a-block with fucking blood flies and their little blood hives and yeah it turns out you can't really avoid them but i have develop some tactics for getting around them which is very helpful something that i am enjoying about the game is one on the loading screen it gives you quite a lot of hints and tips which is how i've learned about blood flies for example uh, it says that you have to burn them so use incendiary bolts but if you run out of those it says that you can distract them with a dead body because that's where they lay their eggs which is why the higher your chaos the more murders you commit the more blood flies there will be So if you find a dead body in the environment, you can just kind of chuck it and the blood flies will be distracted long enough for you to get past. And a loading screen told me that, which was very helpful. Also, because it's a game I have to save and reload quite a lot because I'm going for low chaos, trying not to kill people. And that involves me sometimes having to reload the game because I've gotten into too much conflict or I've been seen by too many people to escape without killing someone. The loading times are definitely a lot shorter than on Dishonored 1 and there is now a loading progress bar so you can see how long it's going to take. A feature of both games that I really like though is that when it's loading you get to the end of the loading screen and you have to push A to actually start the game off again which is really good because you can get up go make a cup of tea and know that the game is not going to restart and you will get killed because you weren't there to pause it. So that's really cool and it's I think a feature that they've obviously put in because they know that you're going to have to reload a lot. I've also had some time to invest in some of the new powers that Emily had when I just started the game off. I think I'd only got like the dark vision power and blink or far reach which is Emily's version of blink and hadn't upgraded them much because the powers now cost quite a lot to upgrade. Like in the first Dishonored you only needed between one and five runes to completely update a power so like the second level of that power would cost between 4 and 5 runes and then the first level would be like 1 to 3 now you need like six runes just to get a power and there consequently there are a lot more runes to collect and i've actually been collecting all of them whereas in the first game i didn't really collect that many and left quite a few of them uncollected um this has been helped mostly because now when you find an outsider shrine it has two runes on it instead of one so now there's actual reason to bother finding them um, and i have ba- managed to buy all of the powers now except for mesmerize and not all of them are like fully upgraded because they do have like skill trees on them but i've gotten enough so Shadow walk is one that I've been using quite a bit. You turn into kind of a creepy shadowy creature and it makes creeping up on enemies easier because they can't see you as well and you can subdue them without having been seen. And also you can now use it because I've bought an extra upgrade. I can use it to crawl through rat holes and get around places which is very useful. I've also learned the doppelganger ability which creates another you that will run around and fight enemies or and this is the way that i use it most distract blood flies i'm really sorry other me but rather you than me (laughs) it's also really useful because you can kind of plop a doppelganger down and she'll kind of run around and that will draw enemies away from entrances to buildings that you want to get into which is really helpful I've also upgraded far reach to be able to pick up items from quite far away. This is handy for two reasons. One, the game developers because they are dicks seem to like putting runes and bone charms on top of bloodfly hives and that's really annoying. So now I can grab them from a distance, which is ace. And also you can pick up the skulls of gravehounds before they have activated and throw them. And break them before they even pop up alive. So that's really handy other things that I've discovered like gameplay wise in all of the levels when you're just out and about in the city um, You can find a beggar and if you give him five gold, he'll tell you some secrets about the area uh, For example, one of them told me about a burglary crew who were stealing oil whale tankers to try and blow hole in a wall to get at the rear of a shop so i was able to subdue the burglars steal another whale oil canister finish their plan and then burgle the shop myself which was really handy and they are generally just full of local knowledge the story so far and this is where the spoilers are going to come in folks has been quite interesting if a bit slow to unravel Um, I went to the Adamite Institute to track down Solokov and the Crown Killer, who you may remember was the assassin who was killing Empress Emily's enemies, which is difficult to say at the best of times, even when you're gassing yourself with vinegar and incense cones. Basically making her look very guilty and lending credence to claims that she should be dethroned. And you find that... The crown killer is actually Dr. Hypatia, but she's got kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation going on where she randomly turns into a horrifying rage monster and tries to kill people. And this is because she tested out an experimental serum on herself. I did the non-lethal takedown for her, which was finding a counter serum and injecting her with it, which I felt quite good about because it meant that she could go back to her like Doctors Without Borders work of saving people's lives, which was great. And with the Crown Killer then out of the way, I followed leads to track down Solokov, And he is being held by a guy called Kirin Jindosh, which continues the um, tradition of vaguely ridiculous sounding names being used, like Delilah Copperspoon. And he lives in a place called the Clockwork Mansion, which you reach by going through part of the city and then, doing some stuff to open up railway lines to get there and i thought it was called the clockwork mansion because jindosh is the guy who invented the clockwork soldiers that i was so worried about fighting but no no it turns out the actual house is clockwork and when you pull levers in different rooms it changes their makeup it kind of flips walls up and down turns tables over to reveal other things closes stairwells and opens up other routes and it's just generally quite confusing I was quite worried because you see clockwork soldiers at the beginning of the game when you are unceremoniously removed from your empress chair and locked in your room like a toddler. And I was generally quite worried about facing them because they have four arms, all of which are made of knives. And they have a weird kind of bird skull head and they just look terrifying and like they won't respond well to sleep darts, which is my primary tactic for everything. So that's not great. But in actual practice, they're quite easy to get around and destroy um i found finally a use for having a gun which i never really used in the first dishonored but if you shoot their head from a good enough angle it will just blow their head off and then they can't see so they will attack anything that they hear which means that while you're sneaking around them, the two clockwork soldiers that were in that area previously will just bitch slap each other to death with their blade arms, which is quite funny to watch. And I did watch it while giggling on a chandelier because they couldn't see me, which was quite fun. The non-lethal takedown for Jindosh was really quite unpleasant. And I'm going to give a warning for it because I don't really know if it would trigger anyone but it was just it was quite horrible to do um essentially his plan with solokov because solokov won't help him make better clockwork soldiers is to put him in an electric chair and shock bits of his brain to make him compliant um and the non-lethal takedown is to use that chair on jindosh and to use it to basically fry his brain so he can't make any more clockwork soldiers and i found that like really unpleasant horrible like to do that to someone the alternative obviously is just killing him which isn't great either i suppose but at least it would be a clean death i feel like it wasn't a great way to leave that character so yeah don't know how i feel about that it gave me some feelings once you've rescued Solokov from the clockwork mansion you take him back to the boat that you're staying on with megan and then they send you off on your next mission which is to track down brianna ashworth who actually has the most normal sounding name uh, at the royal conservatory which near as i can figure it is like the natural history museum of karnaca because when you go in there there are like taxidermied owls hanging from the ceiling and there's lots of like museum displays of rocks and stuff which is quite cool but also it's scary because it's a whole building full of witches and witches can fuck right off which i'm aware is a controversial stance for the witch fix podcast to take but because they have powers i don't like fighting them because having superpowers is only fun if you're the only one who has them and when other people have superpowers my instinct is just to go well that's not fair you could do what i could do i wonder if that's how superman feels all the time anyway brianna ashworth is a witch and very difficult to kill and basically is building something for use by Delilah and you have to stop her and that thing is called an oculara I'm not really sure what it does but I did the non-lethal takedown on her which is basically there are lenses in the oculara and because I'd done the level I think the wrong way round, I'd picked those up before I even went to the device itself so it said hey if I could put some of the wrong lenses in this, it would completely strip Brianna of her powers. And then the game was like, you have those lenses. And I was like, bitchin', I don't have to go all the way back up to the roof. So I put those in and then it said pull a lever. And when I pulled the lever, Brianna just appeared at the machine and it zapped her and she lost all her witchy powers and I was then able to knock her unconscious and loot her body. And I felt that was a little bit of a cop out because usually like in the end of the Brigmore witches when you switch the paintings that Delilah's using for her ritual you have to kind of wait for the person to walk into the trap that you've created for them and you have to wait for them to pick up the wine that you've poisoned or to just stroll into the trap with this it was just like pull the lever and then she was just there and I didn't have to wait there wasn't any of that like tense expectancy which I'd kind of enjoyed in previous missions in a weird way because it was like you know you've gone through quite a lot of effort to infiltrate this area and to set up a uh, means for this character to conveniently dispose of themselves for you and i felt like it didn't allow that to happen it just kind of took away the the thrill of the moment from me so i was a little bit upset about that that was the level though where i learned to utilize one of my other new powers which is called domino and you link together different enemies and whatever you do to one happens to all of them and I'd upgraded that so that I could do three at a time and this is good because I only had five sleep darts and that's just not enough so linking together those people it's quite funny because you do it and then you trank one of them and then they all go to sleep on the floor (laughs) Um, which is also quite funny I, I spend a lot of my time as an assassin hiding on chandeliers giggling at people so I'm not very professional I wouldn't hire me Anywho from Brianna Ashworth you go on to trying to find out why Delilah is immortal which I don't really know how I found that out but I think it was in the opening cutscene Corvo stabbed her and she didn't die I just thought that he'd stabbed her in a, a bad place and not hit anything important but I should have known better than to bet against Corvo in retrospect so apparently she's immortal and we have to find out why We then go to the Dust District, which is where the silver mines are in Karnaka, and there's just dust everywhere and sandstorms that regularly come through and stop everybody from seeing, so you can sneak up behind them and just quietly choke them out behind a box, which I appreciate enormously because the choke is like a free sleep dart. You're there because you need to get into the home of a guy called Aramis Stilton, who wins the award for being named after both a perfume and a smelly cheese which is an interesting combination and it's also like probably one of the weirdest names that I came across in the game. You get into his mansion by doing a favour either for a gang called the Howlers or for the Overseers in the Dust Town, which is basically killing the leader of the Overseers or killing the leader of the gang and then presenting their corpse to the other like a weird fruit basket, but a dead person. And I kind of ummed and ah about which one of them to kill because there isn't really a non-lethal option or at least I couldn't find one you definitely do have to kill them and my gut said kill the overseer because in all the games the overseers are like the bad guys who you hate and save the street gang leaders because in the first Dishonored that was basically the deal that I made I saved uh, Slackjaw instead of Granny Rags and I felt like I made the right decision there. however This gang had been really fucking irritating me because they will just attack you and I'd gone down an alleyway at one point and met the leader of the gang and two other guys and he was like you shouldn't be down here you should leave and I put my sword away and was very calmly walking away when they just attacked me and then when I killed the leader by like stabbing him in the face because I was annoyed he turned into a bunch of rats and tried to eat me which was unusual and quite disturbing. And because I was already annoyed at that gang, and because I'd already managed to penetrate their hideout and steal everything of value from inside, whereas I couldn't actually get into the overseer hideout, I decided, you know what, Rat Guy is going down. I also thought it was probably a bad idea to leave the city in the hands of a bloodthirsty gang leader. So I had a lot of reasons. Don't judge me. You find out that Rat Guy has a magic which hand which means that you have to kill him twice in one day in order for him to actually be dead and not just a bunch of rats that run away so I got up on a high ledge and I shot him in the head he then turned into rats and promptly ate the woman he had been previously talking to which was endlessly amusing for me giggles McGee on my high ledge and then he very agreeably came up to where I was hiding to find out who had killed him at which point I killed him again and then stole his body. So I had the last laugh. When carrying his body, you can just walk into the overseer outpost and they won't harm you. Unfortunately, I had equipped a bone charm that meant that white wolfhounds would fight for me instead of overseers. Which no one seemed to have told the wolfhounds that I was there as an honoured guest and bearer of dead body du jour. Because the dog went absolutely apeshit and started eating like everyone in sight. It killed like five people. I was quite impressed. But then they did kill it. So I was sad. So I got in there, I got my favour which was helping me to find out how to get into the mansion and I promptly went into the mansion which was decrepit as fuck and had stuff growing all over it but wasn't really full of anything that was trying to kill me which was a pleasant change. You then speak to Aramis Stilton of The Amazing Name and he's a little bit insane. He doesn't seem to notice that you're there and he keeps talking about just random stuff that doesn't make any sense and playing the piano at which point the outsider appears and says hey have you noticed how your magic powers don't work in this house and I was like yes I had noticed that I am not a fan and then he gave me a thing called the timepiece, which looks a lot like the heart in that it's kind of like a roundish device that you hold in one hand and said that you could use it to travel between three years ago which was when the thing happened with Delilah Copperspoon that Rendered poor Aramis in the state that he currently is in, and the time period now where the house is just broken down and horrible. So that was pretty cool. I had fun going around the house. You kind of flip a panel up on the top of the device, which is like a pane of glass, and looking through that, you can see the mansion as it was in the or as it is in the other time period, and then you can switch between the two. I'm quite familiar with this mechanic because it has been used definitely in two Zelda games that I have played uh, Twilight Princess and the much less good skyward sword and i after talking to my brother it, apparently you also had this ability in titanfall 2 which i have never played and will probably never play either because it's about robot armor which doesn't really interest me that much but yeah this is definitely uh, a mechanic that i was familiar with and had seen before so getting around things wasn't that difficult because i kind of knew what i was meant to do like if a door is locked in the past it's probably been broken down in the present and various things like that. I was impressed though, uh, some of the ways in which this mechanic had been used. Uh, For example, um, dead bodies attract blood flies. And in the present day, there was a massive blood fly hive in front of a door that I wanted to get to. And then in the past, there was a, a dead dog's body there. So when you put that in the incinerator and get rid of it, and go back to the present, there is no blood fly hive there, which I thought was really cool. And then where it was, there is Uh, a safe that has been tipped over and the door has been pulled off but on the door you can see the combination and when you go back into the past you can use that combination to open the safe and things like that which I thought were slightly more clever than ways that I'd seen it being used as a mechanic before so that was quite cool the main thing you have to do is find the combination to get into Aramis's study, which you do by going back to where he is, he's in like a little um I wanted to say gondola, but that is definitely not the right word. Gazebo. Don't get those two things confused. Anyway, he's in a gazebo with a notebook which has the password in it, and I knocked him out with a trank dart so that I could get to the notebook and Emily then said some dialogue that suggested that I had changed the past and I had because next time I went back to the present um, the house wasn't as decrepit anymore it was actually showing signs of being under renovation and there were like butlers and maids walking around talking about Aramis and how he was still around and still doing good things because from all the flavour texts that I'd picked up he was actually kind of a good guy and was trying to impose more mining restrictions and protect miners from inhaling silver dust and just generally try and keep the town on its feet. This did make navigating the rest of the house a little bit more awkward because there were nosy butlers everywhere but I got around them quite easily because I mean they're butlers they're not trained marines. I never actually got to use the combination though it was a bit weird because when I got back to the door that had formerly needed a combination there just was no lock there which confused me no end maybe if I'd just taken the book without knocking him out I would have needed it but eh I got into the room that I was trying to get into this whole time and time was in flux there so the timepiece had no effect but things kept like whipping back between the time periods which looked very cool and I witnessed a seance that was being held where basically they called Delilah's spirit out of death and the void and then she essentially makes herself a crux which is a statue of herself with like bat wings, pretty classy. And then we find out that in order to destroy Delilah, we're first going to have to do something to that bit of her spirit so that she can actually be killed. Uh, At which point I was like, yeah, well, I've read Harry Potter. I know how this goes. And I've just left it after having done that mission. Um, I left the house and went to the town, which was now not a rancid dust bowl full of crime, but actually looked pretty nice. So... I'm glad I was able to change the past and I got back to the boat and the heart which is the spirit of my mother spoke to me and said that she felt our time was ending and that she was going to have to go away and it became very obvious at that point that to get rid of that piece of Delilah's spirit I could then put it in the heart I'm guessing um, so that I control it instead of her. Another consequence of me changing the timeline was that when I got back to the ship Billy Lurk aka Megan who is the captain of the ship that I'm staying on she now had both arms and both eyes which was not how I had left her so she seems to have no recollection of things ever having been different so she didn't say anything about it but it was it was pretty cool that actually that I managed to change time so much of course you don't get to keep the timepiece; you only get to use it for that one mission but I can kind of see why they had to put a limit on it because level design for that was quite complicated and it really does change how you play the game and it was a little bit of a headache kind of getting around in that way and kind of trying to make your mind think oh okay this is not how i've been playing the rest of the game this is a completely new different play style that i have to get used to now so overall i'm having quite a lot of fun with dishonored two it is not as good as dishonored one But for an ineffable reason, that I can't really put my finger on. I don't know if it's because you're dealing with more than just human enemies, like dealing with people who have powers in the Brigmore Witches made it a lot more stressful and a lot less fun. I felt like I couldn't freely explore as much because the enemies were more powerful and I had to hide more instead of getting about the place and having kind of a free run. And the same goes with like the grave hounds and the clockwork soldiers, because they're kind of difficult to get around. You feel very much like you're being put in a prey position as opposed to an unseen predator of the night. So it's it's slightly less fun. Um, it might also just be that the story isn't as like emotionally fraught. I felt in the first one that you were very well motivated you had to clear your name for killing the empress you were upset and angry that the empress had been killed in the first place and you desperately wanted to recover emily in this you kind of want to have your throne back and you want to rescue corvo from being a statue forever but those things aren't really mentioned that much it tends to be more the plot is mainly focused on here is why you're going here to do this thing and not here is why you're being motivated to take action at all so I feel less emotionally motivated. I don't know if playing as Corvo there would be more motivation because obviously you're trying to save Emily, your daughter, again. Uh, I might give that a go once I've finished playing through as Emily just to see what it's like. There hasn't really been any ideas about why it is so bad now that Delilah is Empress. She hasn't really done anything that wasn't already going on. Like The places that I'm going in Karnaka were pre-fucked before she came to power so it doesn't seem like she you know she hasn't launched a new regime that is horrible it's just the same regime that it always was which is the regime that was in place under me as empress as well so i feel like there isn't really a strong enough motive for emily to want the throne back aside from the fact that she doesn't want delilah to have it because she's sure delilah will do something evil but we're not really sure what that is so there's that i also feel like maybe the mystery of the outsider isn't working as well as it did in the first game because Obviously, in the first game, you've just been introduced to him. He's this random man who comes into your dreams and gives you magic powers. Amazing. But it's weird and, like, I don't really know what he wants. And I feel like at this point in the story, we should be finding out more about him and more about what his role is in the world and why he's allowed to influence people. And if he's going to give powers to Delilah and me and then we have to fight each other, like, what is even the point? It's starting to feel a little bit nihilistic, I guess. So I think maybe my dissatisfaction with the game lies more in the plot and the motivation behind the characters as opposed to like the actual gameplay, which is basically still the same as it ever was in, in the first game and in the DLC. It's just that now there are a few more gimmicks being thrown in, a few more characters who can use magic powers, and that's not really as fun for me as stalking the shadows and giving people a quick night-night cuddle and then shoving them in a bin. I'll do another episode to let you know, you know, how the game wraps up and how I feel about the plot afterwards. But in the meantime, you can get in touch on Twitter at Witchfix and by email, which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also donate to my Patreon in the description box below or to the side if we're on CastBox, wherever you're listening to me. It's in the description, trust me. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye.